You're listening to Business Extra coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm your host, Kelsey Warner. And this week, I'm taking you on the road with me to Dubai for this week's interview. Here it is. I'm joined today by Julie Pace, the Senior Vice President and Executive Editor of the Associated Press. Julie is a news veteran. She took the top editorial job at the AP from her post as AP Assistant Managing Editor and Washington Bureau Chief, where she directed multimedia coverage of U.S. politics and elections and oversaw coverage of the Trump White House. In her role, she leads the AP's global news operations and oversees news content in all formats from journalists across the world in 250 locations in over 100 countries. Julie, welcome. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you so much for having me. Talking to a fellow journalist, so I'm going to try to keep it kind of keep it <laughs> tight. But welcome to the UAE. What brings you? What brings you to Dubai? Thank you. Well, I'm really happy to be here. So Dubai is a really important office for us at the AP. We have a team here that is covering not just the UAE but also the Gulf uh, more broadly. Uh, obviously, it's a busy neighborhood for us. Quite a bit of news here, and so for me, it's just a chance to come here, get a chance to spend time face to face with our team. I think that's really important post-pandemic to get a chance to see people in person again, but also a chance for me to get to know our customers in the region a little bit better, meet with officials here. Um, Any chance that I can get to hit the road uh, and make some bureau visits, I definitely try to take advantage of. So talk to me a little bit about the AP's business model I referenced at the top, nearly 200 years in business. And since I've been in the business, it's not been very long, but it's been facing existential threats from the jump. It seems like a constant, constant struggle to stay alive, stay in business. So talk to me about the AP's actual business model. Sure, absolutely. You know, it's it's funny because I think the AP has a business model that if you were starting a media company today, you probably wouldn't decide to go in this direction. But we were started as a news cooperative. It was basically a way, as you say, nearly 200 years ago, it was basically a way for a small number of news organizations to start to share their journalism so that they could have more coverage and reach larger audiences. And in some ways that actually has continued to be our mission. I'm I'm often struck by how much the mission has stayed consistent during that time period. So at a really high level, what do we do? We are continuing to be a news cooperative. We have customers all over the world, thousands of them, largely media companies, and we provide them content. So we provide them a global news report, one news report, the same news report every day, to all of those customers around the world. And so it's really important to us that that news report is global, that it is fact-based, that it's nonpartisan, that it can be consumed by an audience in the United States or in the UAE or in Russia or in Ukraine or in Latin America or Africa or anywhere in between. Uh, Over time, we've really transitioned from being a text-only print, originally, news company to a multi-format company. So we Yes, continue to have a text report, but we have a really robust video operation. We do audio. We, of course, have award-winning photo coverage. And increasingly, we're trying to think of ourselves more as a digital news company because all of our customers, whether they started as a newspaper or a broadcaster or a radio station, they're also trying to meet a digital audience right now. And I think that's what will allow us to remain essential is if we can make sure that our news report is helping them meet their audiences where they are. So the National, for example, has a licensing agreement yep. with the AP. So we have access to your photos, mm-hmm. to the reporting that the AP reporters do around the world. And it's a way for us to augment our coverage. And as you said, speed, accuracy, readability, those are all really important things. But you're facing an environment where local news is declining. These licenses are 
on the downslope. So where else are you going for growth? Yeah. Where else are you finding revenue? And and we've seen that for the last several years. Yeah. You know, this is a dynamic. It's a dynamic that has been playing out for, for quite a while. And I'd say a couple of things on this. You know, one of the things that I think is important to us is making sure, not just because of our business model, but because of our mission as a news organization, that we are maintaining that commitment to our customers. We genuinely believe that there is value in organizations like the National being able to access our journalism so that your audiences can get that global perspective, so they can get that well-rounded, fact-based coverage that the AP provides, which means we need to keep thinking about how we make it impossible for you to walk away from the AP. I think about that a lot. What are the things that we can do, both in terms of the coverage that we deliver every day, but also some of the services that we can provide? So we do a lot of experimentation to try to make sure that the licensing customers stay with us. And we've had some real successes on that over the last couple of years. At the same time, you're exactly right. We, like I think a lot of media companies, have to think about diversification. How are, how are we going to make money in other ways so that we can continue to provide this news report? Because you know this, covering the news is expensive. You know, it requires having bureaus, in our case, all over the world. It requires spending money to keep your staff safe, giving them the best equipment. It's not an easy, cheap business to be in. So we've been exploring a couple of different avenues. Um, Some of them are around digital advertising. That's a place where a lot of news organizations have uh, invested a lot of time and resources. AP hadn't really dabbled in that space much. And so that's a place where we're looking to expand. Uh, Services. Uh, We have this really incredible service called GMS, Global Media Services that basically provides the infrastructure for broadcasters whenever there are large events. That could be anything from the Olympics to uh, the upcoming coronation of King Charles. We will provide the whole broadcasting infrastructure there. All you need to do is send your correspondent. It's been a pretty game-changing business for us. The other thing we're exploring is e-commerce. So if you're a news organization that maybe can't afford a full contract with the AP, but every now and then you want to buy one photo from us or one clip of video. We want to provide a way for you to do that. And that's something that's in its infancy right now, but we think has a lot of promise. The other engine I could potentially see is AP's fact-checking muscle. And um, I want to talk to you a little bit about fact-checking in an age of misinformation. You come to the job from the Trump White House, from D.C. You actually left D.C., moved to New York to take on the editorial role. You're a creature of D.C. (laughs) Um, talk to me about AP's fact-checking and could you productize fact-checking? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, I, I come out of, um, a Washington and, and political reporting background. And, you know, I think especially in the last couple of years, making sure that we as an organization are being crystal clear about what the facts are. I think that's never been more important because there is so much misinformation out there. And I think what has changed is that that misinformation isn't coming just from, you know, the deep, dark corners of the internet anymore. The misinformation comes from- Chat the, GPT on, <laughs> on Microsoft or, or, it comes, <laughs> or it comes from the, the podium in the White House briefing mm. room. And that is mm-hmm. not a, a statement just about the Trump White House. I mean, we see misinformation pushed by political parties, at, you know, of all stripes right now. And so I think the AP- as a very committed nonpartisan news organization plays a really important role. We will fact check anybody. You know, we don't take sides in this. We want to make sure that, you know, any facts that are being misconstrued were there to, to get across. 
I think we have really perfected the art of uh, fact checking in that nonpartisan, non snarky way, right? The facts are the most important thing for us. You know, whether that becomes a separate product or not, I will, I will take that, <laughs> take that under advisement. But I think right now, what we're really trying to focus on is making sure that our whole report is infused with fact checking. I think we don't want necessarily to break that out as something that is separate because we want that to be the basis of really what we do. In terms of how audiences can find you, it used to be they'd open their local newspaper and an yeah. AP report would probably be there. But now it's you have 16 million followers on Twitter, about a million followers on Instagram, a million on Facebook. Those are actually fairly low numbers given your yep. actual reach yep. or what your potential reach could be. Yep. How do you guys think about social media? Yeah, it's a good question. And you're exactly right. On the one hand, you know, those can sound like big numbers, but in context of the audience that we reach through our traditional licensing customers, it's a drop in the bucket. And to be honest, some of that is intentional because we want to maintain, even despite the the threats and the and the risk, we want to maintain the licensing business as our core business. We think that's really crucial. But we also want to meet audiences where they are. And we don't think that those two missions are in conflict. And so we are exploring quite a bit. We launched our first TikTok account uh, at the end of last year, which was sort of a fun foray for us into a space where you have a lot of audience, a lot of younger uh, potential news consumers. We want to make sure that we're meeting them where they are. I think that the most important thing for us, for the most important thing for us as we think about social media is how do we try to take the same fact-based, nonpartisan, objective news report that we have but do it in a way that's authentic for those platforms. Because I think if you look at whether it's Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, you know, that's one of the things that I really take from it. You have to be authentic to those platforms. So how do you, and authenticity is actually, it's tough to do. It's tough, really to, it's tough to land. And really so how hard. do you staff up for a social media need? Because you do have journalists all over the world, social media, you know, do you have 80 different journalists logged into the AP <laughs> Twitter account right now. Maybe not 80. But like, how does it, yeah. how do you staff up for actually your digital strategy? Yeah. So there's a couple different ways that we've been approaching this. Some of this, to be honest, is just we've hired new people and we've looked for a you, different- I you hired a digital director. We just hired month. a digital director, Saeed Ahmed, who joined us uh, after having been at the BBC and NPR and CNN and is a real sort of digital native and has a real feel for just how you reach those audiences. Um, but we've also hired, you know, I, I'll point you to some of our really incredible reporters who are doing some things around um, financial wellness, and they are young and dynamic and enthusiastic and can talk to you via our TikTok channel or our Twitter account in a way that does feel very authentic. The other thing that we've tried to do, though, is take our journalists from around the world, and we had some great examples uh, from the earthquake in Turkey and Syria and just have them kind of talk about their experiences, just direct, you know, pick up their phone, look at the phone and just record 60 seconds of just what it looks and feels like to be there. Some of our biggest successes on social have been in those types of uh, postings because, again, it's authentic. It's a journalist in the field just talking about what it looks and feels like to be there. And I think, again, where it doesn't conflict with our core product is they're still producing that report. This just adds another way for people to, I think, come in and access it and say, hey, that reporter really drew me in with their account of what it was like to be on the scene. Let me go watch their report or read their report. And so we see that connectivity there. It's been fun to experiment there. I think we have a lot more experimentation to do. We're just at the infancy of it. Um, so I, I see just a lot of upside and opportunity. The APs won 54 Pulitzer Prizes, the majority in photojournalism. 
you're a legacy media organization, really highly respected. I can imagine there's some tension in introducing vertical video <laughs> to these very serious journalists. How's yeah, that going? You know, I, I, sure. Yes, there's some tension. But the other thing I would say is, and I, and I say this a lot in the, in the newsroom, we've been around for 177 years. If we did the same thing that we were doing 177 years ago, we would never exist now. So we have actually, despite being a legacy news organization, we actually have a history of evolving and modernizing. It's how we've managed to stay around this long. So I look at it very much in that context. This is what we need to do to remain essential. And ultimately, you know, the, the, the goal of the AP isn't to do journalism in one way. It's to reach audiences, right? And so if audiences are over here, our challenge is how do we meet them there without changing the core of who we are? That's been the consistent theme of the AP over that 177 years, right? The, the, the bedrock of what we do hasn't changed, but the method in which we're delivering it has changed. I would imagine, I was not around uh, at the AP when this happened, but I would imagine when the AP first decided to go into video to move away from just being, t- I would imagine that was also kind of a big moment and there was a lot of skepticism around that. Now I can't think of the AP without having video. How could we be the AP without having video? And we may be saying the same thing soon about generative AI and the use of AI tools mm-hmm. to help with headline writing, help with just content writing itself. How are you thinking about it? Is that It's so funny because that's the question I probably get the most, most right now is what are you guys thinking about AI? So in one respect, you know, we've actually been using AI tools for quite a while right. to help with a number of things. Um that is, you know, trying to really focus on where we could use AI to take some of the um almost like the grunt work off the backs of our reporters. So things like stock tables and and financial market tables, uh, automating sports scores. Baseball. So baseball, box big, scores, big, right? Big <laughs> candidate for AI. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, helping with transcription of interviews. Mm. I'm a former video producer myself and the amount of time I think I used to spend logging interviews, you know, things that we can use to just speed that process up. Helping with uh, initial versions of translation. That's a huge benefit for us on A. So on the one hand, we've used it quite a bit. Uh, we also have a really successful program that's largely been focused on U.S. customers at this point. But I think we're you know, looking for opportunities to expand this internationally where we've had customers pitch us projects where they think AI could be helpful to their newsrooms. And again, this gets back to being more of a partner with our customers. They pitch us ideas for how they could use AI, and we help connect them with the technology and help them explore how they could use it. So we're learning more through their projects. And then, of course, there's this bigger question of where the tools can take us in the future. Look, I do not envision, certainly in the short term, I do not envision that we're going to be at a point where we're going to use AI to replace the work that a reporter does. I just I don't see that being in our in our certainly not in our near term future. But can it help us speed up things that allow that reporter to focus more on the high value parts of their job? I'm very open to exploring that. I want to switch gears. We can move yeah. on from AI. Yeah, uh, yeah. You left DC, or as I said, a creature of DC to go <laughs> to New York, take the big, the big kind of corporate job. <laughs> yeah. Left day to day, the day to day news mm-hmm. grind, the day to day deadline grind. Yeah. And I think a odd fact of the journalism industry and other sectors share this is the better you get at the job, you the further you move yeah. away from it. Yeah. Are you feeling that? 
It's so, I mean, it's such a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I feel it a lot. I mean, it's, it, it's funny because I think about myself so much as a reporter still, I still, when I talk to people, sometimes I say like, what do you do? I say, I'm a reporter. <laughs> I feel very much like that is, um, that, that was probably when I was, uh, uh, kind of the most satisfied in some ways. There's nothing better than kind of being on a big story. Now what I think about a lot though is how do I put other people in position to feel that way? You know, I feel really fortunate and lucky um, to have had the career at AP as a reporter and as a, a bureau chief in Washington that I had. And I think about all of the things that it took to make that happen. And I think, you know, I want to try to create those conditions for other people. Um, there are moments when I can definitely dive into a story more than others. You know, one good example is the first month probably of the Ukraine war. I mean, I was very close to that story. I mean, that was, that was, you know, a, a period of time where I was like very much in the weeds of what we were publishing every day. Certainly when there are sensitive, you know, particularly investigative stories um, or stories that we know are going to cause controversy, like I'm very close to the details of that. Um, I still keep a fairly close eye on U.S. politics uh, and elections, you know, because that's a big part of the AP brand. But day to day, you know, I, I, I do have to let go a little bit and let other people take the lead on it uh, and try to resist the impulse to dive in. You know, I, I lurk in a lot of Slack channels and I resist the urge to dive in on the weeds it's too much. It's really hard. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really hard. So 2024 is coming up. You mentioned yes. elections. What will be different under a, a Julie Pace helmed <laughs> AP for elections? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't know if so much will be different, but I think perhaps there will be some um, areas of emphasis. I think that one of them will be what we talked about around uh, fact-checking and making sure that that's really at the forefront of what we're doing. I think the other thing that I'm really committed to is deepening our explanatory journalism around how AP calls races and declares winners. I think that there, you know, we've, and this is something we've done from the founding of the AP is we're in this very unique position of calling the winner of the presidency and calling the winner of all of the Senate and House races. And I think there was a long period of time where AP declaring that something was so was enough, right? If AP said this was the person who won the election, that's enough. I now recognize very much that we have to say not just here's the winner, here's why we've called the race in this way. And we have to really peel back the layers and pull back the curtain on the how of it. And that's a little scary, to be honest, because when you start doing that, you realize that this is always, you, know, you wish that it was just a perfect science and you could just show a math equation, but there's a lot of nuance to it. But I think we have to be transparent. I think that's how we have to build trust. I think that's how we have to get people to understand that there's a method to this, that we're not picking winners or losers because we're coming at this from a political position, that they understand just how much time and effort goes into making those decisions, how um, expert our teams are. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that explanatory journalism. We're, we're putting a lot of emphasis on that. But again, it does make me a little bit nervous because there's, um, there's, there's risk to doing that, even though I think there is greater risk to not taking that step. So as you just said, we're in a moment, we're not taking democracy for granted. We are in an environment of misinformation, lack of trust. We're in an environment of declining revenues yeah. in terms of local news and what the licensing landscape looks like. So you've been in your role uh, a little more than two years, I think. How would you describe the learning curve? How would you describe <laughs> the current moment you're in? And 
what keeps you up at night as a leader? Oh, it's a good question. Um, Aside from all the stuff <laughs> I, I just listed. I was going to say, all, the, all of the above. Um, look, I, I actually feel more optimistic and energized now than I did when I took on the job because I think there's a lot of opportunity. I think that it's, I think one of the things that probably keeps me up at night is, you know, I feel like anybody kind of in these positions, you know, at a certain point, it's not just surveying the landscape and thinking about what opportunities are ahead. You've got to pick a few and go with them. So I guess what I'm asking really, if I can target the question, what have you picked? Yeah. So uh, we've picked a couple of things. One is to expand our direct to audience digital advertising play. Again, not to completely remake the business. But to really, what we're trying to do there is really create a revenue stream that is much more in our control, right? I can't control the finances of all of our customers, but I can control what we do in our own space. And if we can succeed there, then it helps take the pressure off a little bit on the content licensing business. That's what we're really trying to do. We're trying to just take the pressure off there so that we make sure that we have enough money, to be honest to keep providing the content licensing customers the journalism that they depend on us for. So we've picked that as a lane. We are all in there trying to build that out. That's going to be a huge priority of mine. And the other thing really is elections. I mean, I do feel like that for us, both from a business standpoint, but really from a, from a journalism standpoint, a public service standpoint, I think it's crucial that the AP is in that space. And I think there's so much more that we have to do to try to be Again, fact-based and and explanatory-driven there. And so there's quite a bit of work to do this year to set us up well for, for next year. Okay, what didn't I ask you? Well, you know, look, I'll, the other thing that keeps me up at night um, is thinking about our staff and thinking about keeping them safe and all the different ways that keeping them safe, um, all the different ways we have to keep them safe right now. That is physically safe when they're on assignment in dangerous places that is keeping them safe online where our journalists, particularly women and journalists of color face just abhorrent levels of harassment. And it's thinking about all the ways that I can't even think about yet to keep them safe. Um, That's probably the thing that keeps me up at night more than anything else. I want to talk to you about, um, this is sort of my last, last question, future of work stuff. The AP has a long tradition of asynchronous, asynchronous working. Yep. Uh, flexible work, kind of people all over the yep. place. What tools do you guys use so that other companies can say, okay, there's actually no excuse? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because you're right. In some ways, we were we were probably better prepared than a lot of other places because we've always had teams that were all over the place. So there's always been some amount of kind of distance work that has happened. You know, I worked in Washington, but I talked with our team in Dubai or our team in London or our team in Tokyo all the time. And you were submitting work that was factually accurate on deadline. Exactly. Exactly. And, it was sort of in our, it was in our DNA to work in that way. Um, at the same time, it has been a pretty jarring transition. Even with that as our baseline, it has been a pretty jarring transition. I'm, I'm on the one hand, both incredibly impressed with the way we were able to go fully remote when we went pretty much fully remote at the start of the pandemic. And at the other, on the other hand, um, you know, constantly sort of struggling with how we bring that back into a place where we have more flexibility, which I think is really important for our, our staff, where we are empowering. This is one of the things we're really trying to do, trying to empower our teams in each location to make decisions that work for them. So I'll tell you, you know, in a lot of our international locations, people are coming in five days a week in offices and have for quite a long time in the U.S., 
it's it's two days a week and we're probably going to be there for quite a while. And how do we make sure that we're creating enough in-person connection in those places while also empowering those teams to make the decisions that work for them? I think the other thing that I would just encourage, you know, other leaders to think about is we're not going to have this solved this year. And we have to constantly be looking at this and constantly evolving it. And I would encourage all of our teams to also like be a little patient with us because this is a this is a new world that we're living in and we're not going to get it right, you know, in our first pass at this. I would really encourage it's like I'm speaking to my team now, but like I would encourage people to give us feedback because again, this is a new this is a new world and we want to take lessons, you know, from what's working and also really from what's not. I'm I'm pleasantly surprised with how we've done kind of as we've started to come back, but we got a lot of work to do still. Well, Julie, thanks for talking to me. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. That's all for today. All that's left is to thank our production team and you for listening. See you next week.